The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 239 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is moving a healthcare system to recognize all the people working in it, including family caregivers. As many as 45% of family caregivers at some point in their family lives will provide family caregiving for family members who are living with health conditions which are medically incurable, chiefly various cancers and chronic diseases that lead to death, serious mental illnesses, and seriously disabling developmental or acquired disabilities. Now, polls report that governments and the people agree on home as the place of choice for living with serious illnesses and for dying. So here's a social agreement that points to the growing importance of family caregiving. Yet, healthcare systems and healthcare professions are generally unwelcoming to family caregivers as providers of health care. In 2013, the Mental Health Commission of Canada published its national guidelines for support for family caregivers of adults with mental illnesses. Its research highlighted worrying perceptions. One worrying perception is that, historically, many family members have felt blamed for their loved one's mental health problems and illnesses. Another perception, equally worrying, is that while the blaming is diminishing, family caregivers are not yet consistently recognized as potential partners in family members' recoveries. And yet another perception, also worrying, is that many family caregivers still feel marginalized and that their role is neither properly acknowledged nor adequately supported. All of which is why our topic today, moving a health system to recognize all the people working in it, including family caregivers, is so important. Now, to discuss it, our guest is Dr. Adel Stein-Brown. He's Steiny, Steiny, I'm going to call him, please, is the director of the Institute for Health Policy, Management and Evaluation, um, and the Dalalana Chair in Public Health Policy at the University of Toronto. He's a scientist at the Keenan Research Centre in the Li Ka-shing Knowledge Institute at St. Michael's Hospital. 
His past roles include Assistant Deputy Minister for Strategy and Policy at the Ontario Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care, and also Assistant Deputy Minister for Science and Research at the Ontario Ministry of Research and Innovation. He received his undergraduate degree in government from Harvard University and his doctorate from the University of Oxford, where he was a Rhodes Scholar. He's held founding roles in consulting, software, and internet companies. He's advised the World Health Organization, banks, software, and insurance companies, and healthcare providers in North America, Europe, and Asia. So, welcome to the show, Staney. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great. First question for you. Please tell us more about your life, your career, and your experience with family caregiving. So, thanks, Gordon. I mean, I've had a... Uh... I've had a great career so far, at least, in that I've had the chance to work in the public and the private sector and also within the university. Uh, but I think every time I've been in any job, it's been really focused on trying to help people make decisions better. I guess in terms of uh, my experience as a caregiver, I had a very, very sort of profound experience a number of years ago as my mother died of cancer. And what was interesting for me is, is first the chance to, uh, interesting and, and obviously incredibly touching, was the chance to work as my mom's caregiver. Uh, you very kind of, I think, rarely get a chance to return in any small way what you've been given by parents. Uh, but I also got the chance to watch my father uh, as a caregiver and someone who, despite going through an incredibly taxing period, uh, never described his experience as a caregiver as anything other than a privilege. And uh, I'd say... Uh, it, as I sort of think back on that time, what was perhaps really, really interesting for me is that I realized despite my long career in healthcare uh, and my father's career in healthcare as well, he'd been a physician for a number of years. He'd been a uh, assistant dean at a medical school. Uh, he held a role with the College of Physicians and Surgeons here uh, in Ontario. Despite all that I'd done in healthcare, and despite all my father's accomplishments and connections in healthcare, uh, when it came to being caregivers, we were really quite adrift. Uh, we found ourselves all the time realizing that we didn't know what to do. And this could range from very simple things like how to turn uh, my mother, who had a lot of swelling, a lot of inflammation near the end of her life, and for whom even simple acts like being turned in bed uh, were incredibly painful, uh, right through to how to navigate the health system. And I say we were probably both expert consumers and well-connected and well-networked and had a wealth of friends and, uh, and colleagues who wanted to be helpful. So it was really quite a, a profound experience. You think you know what's going on. You spend all this time trying to help people make better decisions at any number of levels of the system. You, you think you've got all the connections. And yet really quite adrift when it came to being, uh, when it came to, uh, being caregivers. Just one very quick comment, Staney. That aligns you with so many of our listeners who've been through exactly that experience. Um, and so in that sense, you're establishing with them that sense that you, Staney, have been there and done that. Okay. Now, my next, my next question for you is, please tell us about your university work in healthcare. Yeah. University work right now is obviously I've got a great team of faculty uh, with whom I get to work every day. There's about uh, almost uh, about 120 of us: uh, physicians, PhDs, nurses, pharmacists, all interested in how to make healthcare and health systems work better. 
I think, you know, as it relates to the, uh, the topic today, what I find really uh, both a very motivating challenge in my own work, and I find a lot of resonance with my colleagues on this, is how we start to get the whole health system working. And so we often look in, in Ontario, at least, as our healthcare system being some combination of well, maybe 150 hospitals or, or 14 community care access centers or perhaps 25,000 physicians or 125,000 nurses. But I, when I think about what our health system has to be to be sustainable, it has to be about all 13 million people in our population because all of us, I believe, at some point will have some type of interaction with a loved one or a neighbor or a friend where we act as a caregiver, whether we, we recognize that role or not, whether it's for a long or a short period of time, uh, whether it's in a supportive environment or in a, in a challenging environment, we're all going to be working in some way within the healthcare system. And we've got to get a system that addresses all of what we need to do and people thinking about how to work towards uh, that goal. That, Staney, leads me directly into my next question for you, which is, how does or how could your specialised university work, and I'm going to include all your colleagues in this, influence healthcare systems recognition of family caregivers and all the other people who perhaps aren't classified necessarily as frontline professionals um, or administrators and those kinds of jobs? So... What can you do? <laughs> well, I think, I think, thankfully, we're riding two waves here that will prompt greater and greater attention to this issue. Um, the first wave is this sort of long-acknowledged thing that healthcare has to be organized based on evidence, right? We should be doing the things that we know work. And closing that no-do gap is a critical challenge in every day in, in clinical practice. It's a critical challenge every day in health policy. And where we have a no-do gap now is that we know we could be doing a lot more to support caregivers. There's promising and some proven models around the world that work, and we've got to get that back into, uh, into policy and into practice. So thankfully, you know, people now, I think, see the value of evidence, and we have evidence on the importance of caregiving. The second wave, which I think makes this hopefully a, uh, an achievable goal, is that we're starting to design or recognize the importance of the, of the patient experience and to design systems around patients. The next step, obviously, is to recognize that part of that system around, around patients are the people who care for them, unpaid or paid, but particularly the unpaid people around them who need to be part of the solution. Where I think... Um, we're going to have to work much more hard, though, and where I think there's a lot of profitable or a lot of important area for both scholarship but also practice is understanding the distinction in those perspectives, right? The caregiver isn't necessarily the patient. And what the caregiver can do for the patient is different from what the patient can do for themselves. And what the caregiver needs from the provider is very different at times from the patient. And what the caregiver can uh, contribute itself is not just a function of the patient's needs. It's a function of the whole context around the patient, the caregiver, and uh, the whole sort of social situation around them. So there's a lot more that we need to understand about that. I think the, the second thing that uh, people in my sort of position can do is start to build more and more of the evidence case for what does work, right? So there, there are policies that uh, we believe might help caregivers, 
Some of those will work, some of those won't. Some of them will work for some diseases like cancer and uh, others will work for other diseases like mental health uh, challenges or uh, heart disease. And it's a matter of starting to increase that scope of evidence and I think uh, almost as important, making sure that it becomes part of the training of the people who will lead our system. Now, just a very quick question, and then we have to go to the break, or perhaps just a comment. Maybe I'll leave it at this. In that sense that you began by describing your experience, your personal experience with family caregiving and what you learn from it, um, what I find with this um, program, this, this show, is just how many people in senior positions in various parts of life have been through those kinds of experiences. So in that sense, it becomes personalized. And I would hope that that kind of personal experience sort of flows over into the influence giving the data generation and generally the case making for the patient center and therefore family caregiver centered healthcare system that many of us want to see. Now, on that point, um, I'm going to take the short break. This is where we have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Adel Stain Brown. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. We'll be back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. What if you were willing to be controversial, choosing kindness instead of judgment, willing to stand out from the crowd, being a leader in creating a new reality, even if others don't follow? You can make a difference. Start by tuning in to the value of controversy. Each week, our hosts will bring you the tools to help create the world that you want to live in and explore what's possible when you choose from the controversy of consciousness. Listen for the value of controversy every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Everyone is eligible for RX Savings Plus. There's no age or income restrictions and no paperwork. Simply print a card and start saving on your prescriptions. Start saving today. Enroll and print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 960 96- You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, 
back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and my guest, Stainy Brown. Our topic is in our topic is really to do with bringing and recognizing all the people in the healthcare system and the contribution they make. So now let's talk about more the moving of a healthcare system to recognize all the people working in it, including particularly family caregivers, by addressing key challenges that were identified by the Mental Health Commission of Canada's guidelines. So, Stanley, first question to you is, the guidelines say that historically many family members have felt blamed for their loved one's mental health problems and illnesses. What are the roots of this perception and what do you think of the perception? Speak, uh, you know, I'll speak generally for a second. We all get into caregiving, or I think almost all of us get into caregiving, because we have a strong emotional attachment to the person uh, with whom, you know, for whom we're providing the care. That I, I don't think you can ever separate out the nature of caregiving or you know, what's going on with caregiving from the motivations that bring you there. And I think regardless of the uh, health problem or the challenge this person's facing, you're always asking yourself, could I have done something differently? And, and you know, I think that's not only related to the problem that you're dealing with, it's related every day to the caregiving itself. And so I think when you sort of understand that nature of the relationship, that's, uh, it's, a, it's a really particularly critical uh, issue. That, uh, the motivations can also be a bit of a challenge. I think the second reason why they tend to blame themselves is that there is probably a little, you know, there's some exclusion that goes on here, right? When you take time to care for someone, you're taking time away from a broader social uh, environment. It isn't like spending time with someone in a workplace uh, or spending time socially out uh, in the world. You're taking care of someone and you're focused on them very strongly. And that combined with still, I think, some of the uh, unfortunate stigma that we attach to all sorts of disease, particularly uh, mental health problems and, uh, and addiction, can lead someone to start to wonder whether or not they've done something wrong because they can actually feel excluded as well. And I, I don't think, you know, in some ways, maybe I'm taking the question in a slightly different direction, Gordon, but I don't think we should underestimate the impact of this exclusion. It has a huge impact emotionally. It probably has a huge impact on social networks and even on the health of caregivers themselves. And it has a huge financial impact as well. I know that years ago when we were looking at this question, uh, there had been some studies out of US, uh, some of the U.S. states. And the act of taking time away, even a relatively small amount of time to act as a caregiver, had huge long-term consequences for uh, people's uh, uh, income and wealth. The extent, in one of the studies, I think this was out of Hawaii, when you were a caregiver, even for three months, the lifetime impact on income was almost equivalent to a person's uh, retirement savings, Gordon. So within this uh, question of uh, uh, blame or feeling responsible, uh, you know, I think there's this intimate relationship. There is this aspect of exclusion, which can reinforce some sense of, uh, of blame or fault. Uh, and, you know, finally, at the end of the day, having you know, lived experience as a caregiver, we always were wondering what we could do better. And that just probably reinforces whatever existing feelings there are already. Staney, my next question for you is this. 
the guidelines say that many family caregivers still feel marginalised and that their role is neither properly acknowledged nor adequately supported. What do you see as the roots of this perception and what, what actually do you think of the perception? Sveni? I think, you know, look, I think it's a fair perception, right? Uh, but there's probably a lot of different causes of this, uh, of this feeling. Let's, let's not even call it a perception. Let's call it a, a feeling or, uh, you know, an objective statement of how, of how people feel in these roles. Uh, first, you know, our system is just starting to come around to this idea that everything is going to be organized around the patient. Uh, and you'll listen to very, very thoughtful, thoughtful clinicians, uh, the type of doctor or the type of nurse that we all want to have. And they'll say, you know, I see my role more and more now of working with the patient towards the goals that they want. I think we're probably a few years behind on the same transition to how the health system overall works with caregivers. It's not yet seen as something uh, or as a group where uh, clinicians work with the caregivers. It's still probably a place where, at best, we do something to the caregivers or something for the caregivers uh, to, uh, to help them. But in many cases, probably there's, uh, there's just not that acknowledgement or that recognition that they are part of the care team and that they need, some, uh, they need support, uh, they need counseling, they need help, they need advice, and they need to be listened to. And not just as a vehicle or a voice for the patient, but in their own right. So I think that's, that's, the, uh, that's the first uh, source of this. Um, the second is, you know, we've, I think, now recognized as well, again, the difference in needs that patients may have that are a function of who they are, their own lived experience, uh, the health problem with which they're, uh, they're uh, coping uh, or struggling. Uh, again, it's going to be different across every caregiver, uh, so it's, uh, I think there's an issue there of not only seeing them as part of the care team, but as something that is as varied in terms of needs for support uh, as patients. So given those kind of uh, uh, factors or those uh, pieces of context, I'm not surprised that caregivers uh, feel marginalized. Um, I think the next thing, though, is that, you know, and this is true, most people, or not most people, but a lot of people at the same time that they're working as caregivers are also working uh, in another, uh, another job, you know, trying to make both uh, uh, ends meet in a very sort of physical or real or monetary way, uh, but provide care out to, uh, to a loved one. In that sort of a context, all the other activities they may have done start to be sacrificed to the caregiving role. If you're holding down a job uh, or you've got some type of uh, role expected of you in society, and now you add in three four, five, 10, 12, 20 hours a day of some type of caregiving on top of that, the rest of your social interaction disappears uh, or is at least severely compromised. And so it's not just being marginalized because uh, of the new role. It's being marginalized because all the other opportunities and roles have disappeared. And I think that's, uh, you know, it's something that we have to sort of take into account. And it's, it's, I remember when I was working uh, uh, and working also, uh, or working and, and acting as a caregiver for my mom, one of the most important things I could do would be actually to give my dad a couple hours some days to go and do something else. It wasn't even to go relax or to go get a cup of coffee or to go see a friend. It was merely a couple hours to maintain whatever other work he was doing. 
And so in, in, without uh, that sort of ability to maintain those other roles, uh, completely independent of how caregiving itself may be marginalizing, uh, that disappearance of all the other roles contributes to that marginalization. Right. Now, let me go to something you've already mentioned, and I'm going to rephrase it slightly, but uh, family caregivers feel that they're not yet sufficiently recognized as members of the circle of care. That is to say, they don't feel that my erstwhile profession really sees them as members of the circle of care in the sense that they might provide valuable information to the family doctor, that they might require some advice on how to look after specific things that need looking after and that kind of thing. So what do you think are the roots of that perception or attitude, belief, whatever? And what actually do you think of it? So I think it's, a, uh, I think it's again, a, uh, a fair perception. What I want to separate out, though, is, is why this happens from what people's intent is, uh, just for a second. And this is, again, I think separating the, those two things out is part of why I have hope that we can get to a much better place uh, for caregivers in our health system. You know, providers, whether they be doctors or nurses or physiotherapists or any number of the other uh, people who work in healthcare, generally get into their profession because they want to help people. But at the end of the day, all the supports, a lot of the policies we build around these professionals uh, tends to forget that, right? We tend to focus on the volume of the work they're doing or access to the work they're doing, uh, not kind of the motivations for their work. And so people get very busy. Uh, we all know that it only takes a few minutes uh, in an interview with a doctor before uh, the doctor stop, starts talking and the patient stops talking. Uh, that's very precious time that doesn't include the caregiver yet. Uh, but we do know as well, that the moment that we start to provide reminders, the moment that we start to get people refocused, we give them some support. I'm talking about the providers here. We give them some support for refocusing what they're doing. They do the right thing, by and large. They do want to see people having a good experience, patients and caregivers. They do start to think uh, and, and respond to and try to engage and interact. And I, you know, I think about uh, our uh, palliative care physician. Uh, with my mother, who was someone who was very much focused on the caregiving roles. Uh, he engaged us fully. If we had a meeting, it was a meeting of my mother, my father, myself, and the physician. And we all participated. And it wasn't just a question at the end, was there anything else we needed to know? Uh, it wasn't uh, a certain set of probs. It was a very active engagement uh, among all four of us. And, you know, I, I think there's a whole bunch of things that could correct that type of uh, exclusion. And thankfully, I think most providers want to do the, uh, really do want to do the right thing in this case. It's just the press of a, of a full day of patients, uh, the press of a whole bunch of things to keep in mind. And really, even for clinicians, uh, the, uh, the most specialized of clinicians, there's relatively few supports for doing their job better as well. Right. And I'd just quickly, also, there may be language questions, how well people actually understand each other. Yeah. Now, 
We're going to take the break once more. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Dr. Adolstein Brown. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Want the inside scoop about what's going on in the social networks of art and entertainment? Tune in to Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com. We'll talk to the top professionals in the entertainment industry and find out what they're working on and what's next. Your host is James Barber, who has his finger on the pulse of the arts and entertainment world. Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com, live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and my guest, Dr. Adol Stain-Brown. Our topic is basically bringing all the people working in the healthcare system, including family caregivers, into the healthcare system. Now, let's talk about moving the healthcare system somewhat more by addressing the challenges identified by the Mental Health Commission, and which we were talking about a moment or so ago. Um, Stanley, first of all, the guidelines that imply that family caregivers are not yet consistently recognized as members of the circle of care. What should healthcare systems do to address this perception? You've already touched on this, but in other words, if you're in charge, what would you suggest that everybody does to address that recognition question? Stanley? So I, uh, I, I really sort of break this, uh, this question down into two parts. I think there's places where the healthcare system can do things differently when it interacts with caregivers uh, directly, and there's things that the healthcare system can do as one of the largest employers uh, in our country and one of the largest employers in virtually any country. Let me start with the first thing: things that the healthcare system can do differently when it interacts with caregivers. Uh, 
at, at a very high level, I think anything we can do to give voice to caregivers is an important and a valuable end. Uh, you know, what we see now increasingly is people saying, well, we should be asking patients what their experience was like. And when it's anything less than the type of experience that we know they need to uh, get as healthy as they can be, we should fix it. We should probably create the same type of voice for caregivers. Uh, we've done this at times uh, in Ontario, and we've had surveys as well, say, going into long-term care homes where we've asked patients, but we've also asked their families uh, about their experiences. That, those surveys are really important because, first, they show that how patients and, and their caregivers view a certain situation is different, and you can't fix every problem or all the problems or all the challenges one solution. Uh, but I think you know, we could go further with this as well, not just ask the families about how they see the experience of care for their loved ones. We can actually ask them about how they're doing as well. And so I think things that give voice, whether it be the simple, routine, but I think critical issue of surveying and regular collection of opinion, uh, is important right through to things like having caregiver councils and having uh, some type of caregiver voice when we're developing policy. I think those are, are, are very, very critical things. Second, there's a whole bunch of things that we do in the healthcare system right now to try to make things better. And this is all driven by, uh, you know, clinicians and, and administrators working at the front lines. But it's things like uh, guidelines, the types of things that might uh, in uh, decades past fit into a pocket of a white coat and been a useful aid memoir for a doctor, uh, right through to the things that go on with uh, electronic health records. Uh, but I think including information, support, advice on how best to help caregivers in those things uh, as well is a good, good step. I also had a, uh, a faculty member uh, who uh, we all love very much within our institute named Kevin Leonard, who passed away uh, a couple weeks ago. And Kevin uh, himself, uh, a person who'd coped uh, with the disease for 40 years, really strongly believed in the value of some of the new electronic technologies to help here. But this is, again, a place where we need to make sure that both the patient and the caregiver perspective gets worked in. As if we think about it, Gordon, when we start to talk about electronic health records and electronic medical records, we're often talking about how those are going to change the way the doctor or the nurse does business, right? But those are also a tool for the patient and for the caregiver, each with their own needs that they need out of this. So I think those are, those are some very fundamental and, and critical things. I guess the other thing as well is that we probably need to actually invest in support and education within the care system for caregivers. Some of the support uh, deals with things like tax credits and the ability to purchase supplies and everything else, which you know, for a lot of people is a, is a major, major hardship. But it also deals with simple things like education. And I'll, I'll go back to, to my personal experience here and, and the story I, I shared to begin with. So here we are. Um, working to try to make my mother as comfortable as she can be. And we have a, a doctor who has seen thousands of patients, as well-loved and respected by his patients, uh, and he doesn't know how to turn a patient with uh, all the ascites and other, other issues that my mother had. I obviously don't know as well, despite whatever role I've had within healthcare systems, making policy or advising on policy and doing research, I don't know either. And interestingly, Neither did some of the personal support workers who, you know, we were grateful to have that, that came as part of the health insurance plan here uh, in the province. It was only about the fifth or sixth personal support worker who came in who dealt with a case like mom's before 
and could show us how we could turn her so that she stayed comfortable. I have to tell you, that was a, a remarkable relief when we learned that, but also a bit of a frustration that you know, both the people who'd been there to supposedly help us as well didn't know this, and there hadn't been anything up front about how to deal with this. It would have made weeks of, of work, I think, much easier on my mom and, and perhaps a little more rewarding for us as well. So I think there's, there's all these different opportunities for communication, for support, uh, and so on. Uh, and also, uh, I guess the other thing I'd say is, once again, we, we were really lucky. We knew how to access resources. We knew where to look. Uh, both of us had a high degree of health literacy, my father and I. But, you know, if you didn't have all of those advantages that we had, where would you start to try to find out about what you could get to help you? Where would you go to try to find um, advice or guidance or a list even of the programs that could help you? And I think having something that's sort of a one-stop shop that everyone knew that uh, caregivers got connected with right away would be really helpful within the health system. Steiny, I'm going. Steiny, I'm going to pick you up on that one because it moves directly into something that I want to run past you, which is this: in, as you know, in clinical practice, um, there's more and more reliance on what are called clinical practice guidelines. Um, those are for nurses, physicians, other healthcare professionals, and they say these guidelines. Look, people who know this work very well have sat around a table and have identified what should be the best practices given present knowledge. What would you think, Staney, about the idea of a clinical information practice guideline written specifically to address the information needs of family caregivers caring at home for family members in exactly and precisely the situation that you as a family were in when it came to moving your mother. What about a clinical practice guideline or clinical information practice guideline for family caregivers? What do you think? So I think, that's, I think it's a really great idea. What I'd say, is, though, is that we've got to make sure, just like we, you know, uh, every good clinician will say to us, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. We don't want guidelines to feel that way for caregivers. And so there's a, you know, there's a couple simple ways of thinking about this, but I think also a couple more uh, nuanced or, or complex ways of thinking about this. We all uh, come to the situation with different degrees of health literacy. We have to make sure that the guidelines are actually uh, easily understood by people, whether they've got a MD uh, or they've got another uh, degree or they've got no degrees. Uh, we need to make sure that the guidelines don't talk about an average patient uh, when a caregiver is looking at a patient who's anything but average. And I think as well we want to make sure that the way that the guidelines are presented is empowering and that they actually provide a point uh, for the patient of finding more and more support uh, and not sort of like, here, this is what you get, uh, and if you can't manage on this, it's your fault. This shouldn't be something that further marginalizes the caregiver, right? Fair enough. But I, now, I I want... the, other, the other nuanced thing is that you know, the, the supports that are available to me in the middle of a major city are very different, uh, and the ways of getting those supports are very different from the supports available to someone in uh, rural Ontario or someone who's spent their entire life uh, in a small community that's tightly knit but geographically dispersed, like one of our farming communities. So it's, again, got to reflect those situations, right? Now, I want to just drive into a very difficult question that flows from this, and that is um, this, that 
Many family caregivers express frustration at the difficulty they experience in getting information about their loved ones. And this is a mental illness situation, particularly when the loved ones are young adults and the family caregiver is worried that, that the young adult is going into some kind of, I'm going to call it, attack that, presi- that really signals something bad happening. They call the healthcare system, mental healthcare system, they call the doctor, and people say, no, sorry, you don't have the right credentials, so to speak, we can't tell you anything. Just very quickly, what do you actually think about that situation and what would you do about it? I don't think there's any one easy answer for this. Uh, you know, there's part of me that immediately says, um, hey, you know, the caregiver's there working like mad uh, to make sure that they can support their loved one. Uh, and on the other side, there's part of me that says, you know, what they're doing to help that loved one may not be what that person needs. Uh, that person may have decided for whatever reason that they don't want that information shared. Uh, or they the patient themselves may never actually have been given the opportunity uh, to say one way or the other. So uh, I'm kind of torn on this question, Gordon. I don't think there's a very good answer about what should be done. I think where the answer needs to come in is much more attention up front to discussing with both the patient and their caregiver or caregivers how they're going to navigate this together, right? This is not the type of discussion you want to have when some type of crisis is imminent. This is the type of discussion that needs to be taken whenever the opportunity presents itself, and hopefully when, uh, at a time, whether it's you know, mental illness or cancer or anything else, that people can sit and think about this. Yeah, yeah I will say, I, you know, I think back to my own experience with my mother, and obviously it's on a, an issue that wasn't a mental health issue. It was, it was cancer. But she made me sit down with her and talk with her about what she wanted. I have to tell you, as a son, it was one of the most it was probably the most difficult conversation I've ever had, or series of conversations I've ever had in my life. I didn't enjoy it in any way, shape, or form, but it was a it was a critical conversation. But she made sure that when you know we were all there and we were talking to the range of doctors that we needed to do, that she would try to engage me so that I understood what she wanted and she understood how I could work with her. But once again, you know, I, I, we were lucky in this that uh, she was a uh, she'd been a healthcare administrator. She'd been the vice president of a hospital. Uh, she'd been a senior nurse uh, throughout her life, and she'd been someone who'd been very thoughtful, thinking through all these issues, and had been a caregiver herself uh, for a number of people. So, you know, I think it's 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 how we solve this, not what we do to solve it, and we solve it by making sure that you know, right up front, going right back to the beginning of our discussion this evening, Gordon, that. People are engaged, and not just the patient, but the patient and uh, his or her caregiver or caregivers are engaged right from the start in thinking about how they're going to work together and not marginalized, not excluded, and not left wondering whether or not they're at fault in some way. Right. Absolutely. Now, it's time again for the break, so we'll take it now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Adal Stein-Brown. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Power of the Please stay with us. We're coming back. Find 
out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and my guest, Dr. Stanley Brown. Our topic is... Getting all the people working in the healthcare system, including family caregivers, are uh, recognized and working within it. Now, Stanley, I want to ask you what more you want to do in your university with your first-class team, all of you, what more you want to do there and what more you want to see done in moving a healthcare system to recognize all the people working in it, including family caregivers. So what more would you like to do through the university? Stanley? Sure. So, you know, I think what the university does is it gives you the chance to look uh, at questions and think about them, collect evidence, and try to come up with uh, answers that, you know, more than not, hopefully are, are on the right track and, and provide useful guidance. It also gives you the chance to work with a whole bunch of people who are there explicitly to learn, you know, whether they're there as part-time students or full-time students or just people coming in for a lecture or seminar. They're there because they want to learn something. I think that gives us two opportunities to really, really think through how uh, we can best solve the caregiver uh, dilemma, Um, one of which is by figuring out what works. And I know that sounds really uh, trite or kind of simple when you say that, but there's so much we don't know about how much uh, we can do to support caregivers and how caregivers uh, can support the healthcare system. That I just want to see more uh, inquiry. I want to see more scholarship. I want to see more publication. I'd like to see more 
um, communication around this issue. Uh, the second thing, though, I think that I'd, I'd like to see is that we start to see this, uh, it comes back to a theme that I mentioned at the beginning of our talk, we start to see the healthcare system really as everyone in the province. You know, we're a provincial healthcare system here in Ontario. Whether you're a doctor, a nurse, uh, a patient, a caregiver, whoever you are, you're part of the health system. You may not be serving right now, but sooner or later you will be. And when you start to think about that, it obviously sounds, again, something that's nice and simple, but there is an urgency to that second part as well, Gordon. You know, we're all getting older at the same rate. That means that our doctors are getting older. It means our nurses are getting older. It means that our caregiving population is getting older. And just as we fret and worry about whether or not we're going to have enough doctors come a certain day or whether we're going to have enough nurses come a certain day, or enough therapists of any sort come a certain day, we've got to worry whether or not we're going to have enough caregivers as well. Absolutely. Now, I want to press you a bit more on this by asking you what you want to see done by the healthcare systems, because there are more, there's more than one system operating yeah. in, in this broader community. What yeah. more would you want them to do? a little earlier on that there were sort of two parts of the solution here. One is what I think the healthcare system can do with uh, and uh, are on the topic of caregivers. The second is what it can do as an employer. The only thing I'd add into the first part, what the healthcare system should be doing directly, is that we should start to see the experience and the support of caregivers as one of the areas in which we can measure performance of our system. Everyone, everyone in our healthcare system, or just about everyone in our healthcare system, is trying to do the right thing and that most of them are working uh, full out to achieve that. But unless we make this a goal, improving the, uh, the experience of caregivers and the role of caregivers, unless we make that a goal of our healthcare system, and we provide information back on that goal, how we're doing, we'll never actually achieve it, right? It's not right. just something that can be put in place with uh, a few uh, high-level statements or with some rules or some regulations. It's got to be a goal that we accept as a system and against which we're always and constantly improving. The other thing I think the healthcare system can do, though, is it can be a model employer. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's more than 10% of our gross domestic product. It is one of the largest employers, and in many cases a sustaining employer in communities. It can start to model the behavior, uh, whether you know, it means flexibility in, uh, in how uh, we let people engage in caregiving roles or Acknowledgement of the caregiving roles, support for caregiving roles. Uh, the healthcare system itself can become a model employer that supports caregivers when they go and do this so that it does reduce the marginalization, it does reduce the impact. And fundamentally, so that it actually does reduce some of the inequity associated with this as well. Uh, women are still uh, the preponderance of caregivers in our system. And that means that every time that the system tends to marginalize or impact people like that, it reduces some of the equity in our, uh, our society as well. So I think there's a lot that can be done as a model employer as well. Now, talking about employment, I'm going to ask you this. Where would you start? I'm not wishing to imply that nothing is being done. That's not the point of this question. The point is the que of the question is there's a sense that we need to move and move things. Yeah. Not everything can be moved, obviously, all at the same time. So that raises the question of priorities. So, Staney, where would you begin? Well, I think there's a couple places I might begin. Uh, first, 
Uh, overall, I think we need to give voice uh, to caregivers. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, this interview today and, and the work that you're doing, Gordon, is part of that. But I think we need to start surveying them. I, I know it sounds simple and probably at the end of the day exactly what caregivers don't want to do is fill out another piece of paperwork. But I think we need to be able to know what they need and not guess at it. And so I think surveys that can help show that and also start to measure our performance in this area would be a critical first step. You know, it's, it's like the old line, unless you know how you're doing on something, you can't improve, right? And what we know right now is that we're not doing as well as we could. In fact, we're far from it. But that's all we know. The second thing I'd say is that we should start to see um, caregivers as a resource for the system. And, you know, this, this, this would translate in a couple of very practical ways. First, let's start to develop the tools and the support and the opportunities and the, um, the central points of contact that we would do for any other resource in our system. Uh, we're starting to do it in a number of areas, and I think uh, caregivers is a place where a small investment would pay huge dividends, uh, whether it be guidelines like we talked about, Gordon, or uh, lines that everyone knew how to call. The other thing I think that we can do when we start to talk about caregivers being a resource for our system is recognize that they're contributing huge value to our society. That can be done through tax policy or benefits or any number of things like that. It can also be done by employers when they say things like, look, if you have to go engage in caregiving, that's good. We're going to work to bring you back into the health, into, our, uh, into the employment uh, pool or the labor pool. We're going to work to bring you back into our firm or our organization or institution. We're going to make it easy for you to stay connected, and we're going to be actively uh, reaching out to you. Right. Uh, Stanley, I'm just going to stop you there because, unfortunately, we're running out of time. But I want you to share your message for family caregivers who are caring for family members with serious illnesses who are living at home. What's your message? The message would be very simple. That I think that uh, they're the unsung heroes in many ways of the healthcare system and a critical resource to keeping our system going. Uh, that the reasons that they do it are the right reasons. And, you know, having been there, I, uh, I think it deserves the greatest amount of respect. And I do believe that there are signs that we're going to get to a health system that includes them. Now, we're at the end, unfortunately. There's much more that could be talked about, and I hope um, Steiny will get an opportunity to do this again, and perhaps one of these days, um, in the name of giving voice to family caregivers, I would like to invite you and the family caregiver to have the discussion about the very things that you've been talking about. And uh, I'm, I'll get back to you about that because I think it's important. Meanwhile, I want to thank you, Steiny. Thank for you. all that you yeah all you've said i also want to wish you for the sake of all of us every success in the work you're doing and they that urge you to use this influence use these insights use these techniques use this expertise use these statistics to help bring about the changes that we all i think all of us want to see I want to thank you. say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be about family caregivers sharing the burden. So please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.